And uh, my brother, I called him. He lives in San Francisco. He travels for United Airlines. We just wanted to call him. I said, I was going to do this. And we should be back. And uh, Patricia, are you back? I am here. You are quick. Are we having fun? Well, it doesn't take much to heat a cup of coffee in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was very grateful today. My mom, as some people may have heard in our show yesterday, baked some chocolate chip cookies. Yes. And, yeah. and you know what? I found uh, out, besides the one she left for the family yesterday, she, was gonna, she took them for a tea that she went to today. Uh-huh. She forgot to take the cookies. So I'm enjoying the leftovers that she <laughs> forgot to take. <laughs> Everybody profits in one way or another. <laughs> or a good thing. Everybody profits. That's right. And we would love to hear from you tonight. Area uh, code 714-545-2071. This is your uh, Saturday night treat with Patricia. She got potluck, she got trivia, she got info, we got shows, and we'd love to hear from you. 714-545-2071. And it is about 8 before 9 here on the West Coast on a Saturday night, April the 17th, 2010, the day after our 75th birthday party that we threw for Fibber McGee and Molly. That was so good. It was such a nice birthday party, and I did some homework. You did some homework? I have a trivia question I want to throw out to the audience right off the okay. bat. And I, and I created, listen to your interview with Jack French. Okay. I want to know, everybody, you know, and this is Clue. The, you know, Patricia and Jack were talking about female detectives. Okay. Keep that in mind. I want to know from the audience... <clears throat> what is the common element between Sherlock Holmes and Richard Diamond? Hello there, Carl. You are on the air with Patricia. I have no idea. You don't, Bron? <laughs> no clue. You no clue? No clue. Patricia, you have an idea? Um... We're both detectives. I need, well, no, um, actually, yeah, I guess he was a detective, wasn't he? Well, Richard Diamond, yeah, he was... Yeah, Richard Diamond was a detective. Sherlock Holmes was a detective. With But they had something in common based upon the interview that Patricia and our guest Jack Finch just had. Most of the interview, I caught the end of it. That's okay. That's okay. It just, it just popped up. wedding, I was mortified at this wedding tonight. You did? What happened? Oh, I spilled the drink on the bride's dress. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> a bad thing to do. Yeah, I was going to say my goodbyes and uh, gave her a hug, and then my hand touched her forward a drink, and my hand kind of went down from the hug and hit her drink and knocked it out of her dress. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. Uh-oh. Did you, op- did you offer to give her a new drink? Uh, no. <laughs> she, uh...
of the bride or the groom? I, I coach this little girl. Uh, her, her father and I are best friends, and I remember coaching her in third grade basketball. Uh, now here she is, 25, and nine. she's only got two kids. Wow. So, yeah, it was a fun day. Wow. I have some words of comfort, Fred. What's that? First thing is, and I, I mean this, I'm not trying to be funny, a wedding dress is a one-time dress. Yeah. She had already been married. So the dress served its function. Yeah. The dress is going to be preserved, as most brides do. It goes to the dry cleaner. It goes through the cleaning process before it is boxed and sealed. So there really wasn't anything except an, oh gosh, I'm sorry I did that, involved here. Yeah. Feel any better? I think so. I, I Oh. Yeah, so just, yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Just one of those moments, you know? I'll tell you one story on my mom and dad's wedding. Of course, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they got married in 1963. And after they married and they decided to go on their honeymoon, they forgot to take their luggage. Oh, no. Yeah, so my, un my uncle, who I was named for, had to go meet in some small town to hand him their luggage. Oh, uh, something, 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 something does happen once in a while. Yeah, well, you know, it was a nice wedding, and it was fun, I guess, and so, fun of a time, but... Well, how was the weather up there in Vermont? Great, a little rainy now, but it is for through the winter. We actually, as a matter of fact, coming back from the wedding tonight, we heard little peepers for the first time at night. Oh, wow. It has yeah. to be a particular temperature for peepers to come out. That's right. So spring and spring, I think. I think we're, we're past the winter thing, which is good. The first time I ever heard that spray, spring was sprung, yep. was on a Superman radio show in 1948. I never even heard of it before, but, you know, I'm in California. What do we know? I say it every year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, we had quite a winter. Okay, we had some cold spells this year. Um, but it was Have a good year. So, typically, just give me the rest of the calendar, then. Uh, are you going to be good until when summer hits for you? Right in July or June or when? Oh, June. Late June, early July. And how long does it stay hot? Great. Um, sometimes it gets, you know, in the 90s and people start complaining. I, I don't. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then it starts getting cold again. And then when does, when does... In October, and we'll probably see snow. We could see it in October, probably more likely late November, early December. So if I were to ever come to visit Vermont, September would be the best time of the year? Yeah, September would be great. Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit later, uh, October, you see the foliage. Mm -hmm. Foliage is really nice. That's, that's what people go for, Vermont, yeah. Uh, Oh, and then when you get the maple syrup? That's now. That's now. We just passed it. Okay. When it starts to get really warm during the days, but it's still really cold at night. So that's when the sap runs. So, and it's... That's it's like February. And so that's just a short season, like just February, or does it last? Uh, yeah, it's not really long at all. Huh. Uh, matter of fact, there wasn't much of a season this year at all. Hmm. You know, it varies from year to year, depending on the weather. 
and there wasn't much of a season this year at all. Um, a friend of mine does it. Uh, he, he, he has like, well, he's not, he's not very big, he's got like 300 trees that he taps. Um, and what do they do? Do they tap at the bottom of the tree to get the, the sap? Is that where they would t the tap it? Yeah, you tap it, and, and what he does, he runs lines. Okay. So, the tap will, will come out, and it'll, it's like a, it'll run along this lines in this bucket. I don't know exactly how he does it. Huh. Um, so he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to run every single tree. We have to tap it, but he doesn't have to collect the sap. He's like collection points, where the sap runs to. Got it. So does sap look like brown stuff, brown gooey stuff, or is it? Yeah, sap is great. I've had, you know, sap, just tasted sap. Mm-hmm. Really, really sweet, but I love it. Oh. Um, but I think the, I think the mixture, I could be wrong, but I think it takes like 50 gallons of sap, 50 to 100 gallons of sap, depending on the quality, to get one gallon of syrup. No kidding. Wow. It takes a lot of sap. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but boy, the, the end product's worth it. I, I won't have anything but real Vermont maple syrup if I'm going to have maple syrup. You're spoiled. <laughs> oh. it, it's so much different, though. You buy that other stuff. Yeah. You, you might as well buy flavored sugar. That's what you're getting. I have to eat the sugar-free stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's not really too bad. It's just not the real thing, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing like real Vermont maple syrup. Oh, yeah. Are you ready to play a game with us? I'll try. I'll try. Okay. Do, do we want an easy one or a hard one or a medium one tonight? Yeah, easy. An easy one. Okay, we have We'll get at all this stuff. All right. Now, you heard the last part of our interview? Yeah. And you heard Walden and me talking about the book that Jack French wrote? I think so. I was reading at the same time, so. Well, here's your question, and if you weren't listening, you're doomed. Uh-oh, okay. <laughs> what was Candy Matson's profession? Oh, boy. I guess I wasn't listening to that part. I'll give you a hint. Candy, uh, Fred, she was not a candy maker. She was not a candy maker. Yeah. Uh, was she a police secretary? No, but you're getting warm. The name of the book, and Jack French likes this particular character in this particular show, and the name of his book is Private Eyelashes. Candy Matson was a woman. What did she do for a living? Oh, okay, I remember this part now. I remember you talking to him about this. That's where he got the name Eyes and Eyelashes. Just let that one sit. I'm not. I love that one. 
I'm not going to give the answer so we can ask it of someone else. Tell me, in Challenge of the Yukon, what was the name of Sergeant Preston's dog? Oh, Jack. I have no idea. I don't listen to that show. You never listened to Sergeant Preston of the I've U.S.? I've heard it a couple times, but I don't listen to it a lot. And you don't know the name of his dog. Okay, that's the I guess. I was wrong, I take it. That's the, well... <laughs> <laughs> the phone, 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. Was 79 Wistful Vista their phone number or their street address? Well, you're so nice. A street address. There you go. Hey. Ah, okay. So you get a CD, Fred. Well, I like that. That's easy. <laughs> it's easy to tell me which CD you want? Oh, boy. Let's see. Uh, you sent me the new Superman's. You sent me a bunch of gun smokes already. Um, I got a bunch of space patrols already. I got, you bet your life already. Boy, I've taken very good care of you, haven't I? Sure. Uh, why don't you surprise me? Just surprise you? Okay, well, um, if you give me a hint, like um, detectives or comedy or drama or westerns or... I like westerns a lot. I like science fiction a lot. I like detective shows. Uh, not real big on, like, like the soaps. You know what I don't have? I don't have any Aramis Brooks's. Uh, I do. That would be good. You know, I saw her in a movie the other day. Oh, the one that they did in 1956. What's that? The Aramis Brooks movie? Uh, no, it was in a Western. Ah. Oh. It was in a Western. Uh, it was on the Western Channel, and I, I, I heard the voice, and it was like, I know who that is. Yeah. And sure enough, on the credits, it was her. Yeah, I was just looking at my notes um, on the Friday night show in a couple of weeks. Eve Arden, if she was still alive, would have been 98 years old. Wow. Yeah. Oh. I kind of squirreled around for a little bit of information yesterday because we were going to be talking with um, Gloria... McMillan. <laughs> I got my M's mixed up. <laughs> Gloria McMillan, who played, um, help me here, Harriet Conklin. Good, Patricia. I know. I mean, I'm looking and reading one thing. I know that I can't do this. I cannot talk and read something else at the same time. But because she played in Our Miss Brooks, I went messing around looking for information to make sure that I asked some intelligent questions. And I came across some pictures of Eve Arden. She was a beautiful woman. Yeah, she was. Yep. It, it wasn't and, like Miss America beauty type thing. And she was a uh, very um, wholesome. Uh, well, what I'm saying, what the word was, she was very unhappy because I guess her mom was a looker, and anybody that knew Eve Arden's mom, her mom was the one that had all the looks. Oh my goodness. And so that was a complex that Eve had to fight throughout her life. Was she in Greece? Yes. Yeah, she was. Oh. Yeah, that was Eve. Okay. Yeah. But no, that was one of the, that was one of the things she had to fight. Even though she was a 
good-looking movie actress for many, many years. But I guess her mom was a uh, was the looker, and I guess her mom was a stage actress. I guess it's all subjective, huh? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Oh. Yeah. Okay, well, what you guys, I'll hang up so other people can call. Well, I just wanted to comment on yesterday, too. That was great. You like that? Yes, I did. That's I tuned good. in off and on all day, and it was wonderful. Wasn't it nice that you could you could listen to a couple hours and take about 10 hours off and come back and we were still on the air? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I heard the, the interview there with a the gentleman that went on for quite a while. Uh, who was it again? Uh, in the morning or in, at night? It was in the evening. Oh, Clark, Mr. Clark Schultz? That was good. I was really pleased how well that turned out. It did. He was on a speakerphone, which caused some delays in his responses, mm -hmm. and that's how come we had some gaps in between there. But um, Also, I felt like he was looking things up. I could hear the book or something rattling, some notes. I agree. At different times, um, I knew that he was getting some things out for us, uh -huh. uh, some extra goodies. But, um, you know he worked on that presentation because those, uh, those little routines that he gave us of fiber, you know he had to study that. Oh, my gosh. I see. You know, you cannot on radio or on the phone, you cannot see someone's mouth drop open. But I listened to him go through those alliterations yeah. and, um, you know, with the, with the same sounds and the same letters and that Fibber did, and I just delight when Fibber does it, and then to hear him do them, and he did two of them for us, yeah. was just amazing. It was so good. So I have, when I drop him an email later, I will make sure that I mention how much we enjoyed hearing that. So, well, I'll let you guys go. Thank you, Fred. Thank you for calling, and thank you for playing. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Have a good night, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. And our phone number here is 714-545-2071, 714-545-2071. I want to know, does anybody can help me figure out what does Sherlock Holmes and Richard Diamond have in co common? And it's something to deal with females. And uh, Sherlock Holmes only had one woman in his entire life. And the answer, but <laughs> it, I'll give you a clue. All right. It's not a female that was a, an act. It was not a female that you heard on the air. Okay. Hello, Carl. You are on the air with Patricia. Hello, Walden, and hello, Patricia again. Hi, Jim. Jim, how are you? Yeah, a great interview with Jack French tonight. We you covered a lot of ground, Patricia, and it was all very, very interesting. He was so cool. I just enjoyed that so much. Thank you, Jim. Well, you're really you're you're really adding a lot to this program, I must say. And you you ask very provocative questions. I also had my tongue twisted there. Uh, provocative questions of of these authors, and you do a wonderful job on that. Thank you. I wanted to mention, we were talking yesterday a little bit about radio shows that started out on television and then went to radio. I thought of two more, and I don't know if these started out on television or radio because they were very, they had very short live radio runs, and one was December Bride. I know it did have a radio run in 53. I don't know when it went, I don't know when it started on TV, so that's a good one. Okay. 
Yeah, it was spring Bowling. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and on, on uh, radio, Hal March was in it, and I forgot who was in it on television. Uh, okay. And then the other one, although there had been a 30s version, but the one everyone's familiar with, The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin, the 50s version. Uh-huh. Started out on television in the fall of 1954. And then in January, on ABC, and then in January of 1955, Mutual brought a radio version, which ran, in fact, it took the time after the shadow was canceled. It, it According to John Dunning's first book, it replaced the shadow on the Mutual Network for one year in 1955 on Sundays, sponsored by Nabisco. Yep. And Rusty, you know, Rusty and, and uh, Lieutenant Rip Masters, what they essentially did, Rip Masters would narrate the story, and I think they probably took the television soundtrack and just added radio, you know, add, added radio narration to it. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you really want to be technical, I Love Lucy, uh, we, we, for years we thought there was a radio series, but actually it was just one audition that... that Lucy and and Desi tried. Actually, I think it was really a soundtrack from the TV show, and they had Desi narrate some of it for radio. Right, and I I guess it just never got off the ground, the radio version of that, for some reason. But those are those are three that come, three more that come to mind. You want to take a crack at my trivia question? I'll try. What is it again? What does Richard Diamond and Sherlock Holmes have in common? Besides being detective. Besides being detective, and something to do with a female. And, a fe- and it's a female not on the air. Okay, let's see. Let me think now. <laughs> so, I do know that uh, Richard Diamond had his, his girlfriend, Helen. Uh-huh. And Sherlock Holmes, to my knowledge, the only woman I can think of on Sherlock Holmes was Mrs. Hudson, their house. The housekeeper. I was the housekeeper. He did have one woman, and I will go back and find her name. Shame on me for not remembering it, but she was the criminal, and he wound up in, um, it, it was not overt, but it was clear that he was having a love affair uh, in his heart and his mind with this woman because she was the only woman who outsmarted him. Oh, and he remembered her forever, and Dr. Watson, in his memoirs, would mention her periodically, and it was an affair. <laughs> the woman's daughter showed up in a later story to have a problem solved, and Irene, her, her first name was Irene. Mm-hmm. Somebody will call in and help me. I'm doing well here. I've got 50% of it, but uh, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking nope, for I'm looking. Uh, you guys are cold. Are you looking for a female writer? Uh, you're in the you're in the right category. <laughs> That's as close as I can get. Well, think about what else behind the scene. Well, you think. Let me think now. Let me think. Uh, I do know that some of the Sherlock Holmes radio shows were written by was it Edith Miser? Right, she wrote some, but I'm not looking for a writer. Nothing for a writer. So we're still in the cold. We're getting warm. A, a, a production director, a cast director? Uh, Correct. It's a director. It, it is a director. Yeah. Both of them had female directors. Okay. Let's see. You darned. Yeah. Uh, Richard Diamond for, for a long time was directed by Helen Mack. 
Right. And Sherlock Holmes during the Rathbone Booster around 1944 and 45 mm -hmm. was directed by the movie star and the best. And the best was married to the movie star Herbert Marshall, and she was the one that did the audition of the Halls of Ivy with Gail Gordon. I knew that name was familiar, but yeah. I couldn't... Uh, she was the one that hired Harry Bartell. Because be Harry Bartell uh, heard that they were having a Sherlock Holmes rehearsal, and his good friend in the best was, was doing the directing, and they had this big long line, and he said, well, can I just say hi to I don't want to try out. He walked in, hi, and he said, well, hi, hi, Harry, just pick up a script and read it for me. And he did, and that's how he got the job of being the, the commercial announcer. He blended in perfectly with, with Nigel Bruce doing those Petri, yeah. right, doing those Petri wine commercials. But I thought that was just fun. It's the perfect choice. Yeah, that's why I got fun thinking about, hmm, when Jeff mentioned about this one gal being the director for This Is Your FBI, then it, it came to mind about those two other females that directed two other well, females. Mac did direct... Uh, According, uh, going by Dunning's book, and I think Jack French's as well, he, she did direct that show that he was talking about with Arlene Francis, The Affairs of Anne Scotland. Yeah, I, I, she, she did direct Chorus Archer for a while, which Janet, uh, Janet Waldo, I believe, too. But uh, She directed the uh, audition for The Man from Homicide, mm -hmm. show where later Dan Durier played him, but uh, in the audition it was Charles McGraw. And she directed that 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 audition episode. Yeah. So she was a very prolific uh, director in Hollywood. Director, yeah. Anyway, just just that's what my mind was cooking while Patricia and Jack were discussing female detectives. So we weren't looking, is what it was. I know. You started putting these things together when we weren't even paying attention. That's right. Well, you know, there, there haven't been, you know, when you think about it, even on television, there haven't been that many, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I guess there have been a few female detectives, but certainly not not many when you think about it. You know, you had McMillan and wife, and they were like a husband and wife team. I guess he was the police commissioner or whatever. You're talking about TV now exclusively? Uh, well, yeah, I'm thinking about radio. And, well, uh, well, I'm thinking about he said there weren't that there weren't that there were uh, you know radio and there were those he mentioned. But I'm saying even on TV, most people don't think about female detectives generally. I I, I can think of a few, but uh, we had Murder She Wrote. Right, you had Murder She Wrote. You had uh, um, Heart to Heart. Heart to Heart uh, with Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. You had. Uh, Get Christy Love in the early 70s. She was a, an African-American detective, and she always called people sugar in the stories. I don't, I don't remember that one. Right. You had, uh, uh, let's see. Anything else you had? Of course, you had, you had, you know, women assistants. Like uh, on Ironside, one of the, a policewoman assisted him named Eve Whitfield, played by, I think, Barbara Anderson. Uh -huh. And she worked with him. Uh, a squillion, squillion years ago, there was a show called Policewoman Decoy. Right, well, yeah, there was, and Angie Dickinson had a show called Policewoman. Okay. In the 70s. There was another one um, called Policewoman Decoy, and it was Beverly Garland, I think, was in it. I think that sounds about right. I can't remember it, but the name's vaguely familiar. I've, I've seen some in Martin Graham's, uh, at his website, you know, his... Uh, well, then how come I can't remember radio like that? <laughs> well, and then I 
remember it. My sister remembers commercials, jingles. I remember television. I'm stuck on radio. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you, if, you, if you didn't hear that much of it and you watched more television, you'd probably remember television television better. But well, it's, You know, when I, when I go out looking for a piece of information, there's always something that's intertwined. So if I go out looking for something about, for example, Murder, She Wrote, mm-hmm. There will always be a link that says, and by the way, this was a really good mystery show with a woman, and I'd click on that, and it would be something like um, Heart to Heart, and, and you just keep going. It's like lightning, you know? I mean, it just keeps bouncing off different things. I remember these things. Walden sits here and says, oh, yes, that was at 2.14 p.m. on March 17th, Sixty-six. Uh, you know, that for some major things. I, you know, I, you know that. Like, the, like for example, the TV, movies, music, eighties, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, I was just totally disinterested. Um, I saw a few movies, sure, and a couple of songs, but I uh, got so absorbed in radio um, and studying history and things like that. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not your typical. Uh, not our typical anything, Walt. No, no, I'm not your typical. I mean, I mean anybody could hit me on tri- TV trip. I'm going to be dead. You know, there's no doubt about that. Stuff, stuff for the early stuff that I watched as a kid, and I'm talking about I Little Lucy and things like that. I'll know that, but, you know. So if we ever play Trivial Pursuit on any level, and you give me geography questions, I'm doomed. And if I give you television questions, you're doomed. Yeah, I'm doomed geography, too. So we're, we're in the same boat there. going to take a big target at me tonight get the here figure out this one well I I dilate my eyes. There are so many things that you can't 
really see very well, and the only magazines this guy has is things like People magazine with all of the dirt and the scoop and the guess who's walking in the park with the kids type pictures. I recognized one name, and it was because it was his kid who was in trouble. I had no idea. I think it was Ryan O'Neill, whose name I recognized. I had not a clue about a single person in that magazine. I am so out of touch. Well, like today, you know, like when you hear about uh, stars' birthdays, they'll mention stars on the radio. Uh, on, on the radio, they'll mention movie stars' birthdays. A lot of the names... I'm totally unfamiliar with, like, when the Grammy Awards take place, I don't know any of the, I mean, I don't know any of the artists. I might know, you know, you might hear about someone, say, like Madonna or the late Michael Jackson or something like that. Yeah. Someone is really of a superstar status, but most of the stars today, the singers, I don't know at all. Yes, yes. And, of course, everybody is identified as a superstar. If you sell a million records, you're a superstar, which, of course, in, in, um, when, when you think about it in old-time radio and old movie standards, you are a starlet, you were an actress, or you were a star. And they were differentiated. Yeah, for example, I always claim that Tom Hanks, I think he was a great actor of today's generation. Mm-hmm. If he were having a 1940, he would be a character actor. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It, it would be that de- designation? I think so, because you wouldn't necessarily have the star quality. Uh-huh. I think we consider him great because he's a great actor. Because he's a great actor. You're right. Right. Uh, right. With, with Errol Flynn mm-hmm. and The Flash and, you the, got it. You know, and things like that, yeah. I can understand why they would um, differentiate between stars. He was a wonderful, or is a wonderful actor. Yeah. Um, Errol Flynn and uh, the others of that era. Clark Gable, the yeah. Flash, the Pizzazz, mm-hmm. the Sex Appeal, the... Uh, they were just bigger than life. Right. Uh, so, you know, they, they made a lot of, you know, they, they, again, again, I think radio helped their careers when they made guest radio appearances, when they appeared on comedy shows or on Locked or something. I think, and where, where today's stars, except for their movie, which comes out, and they might make a movie every few years or months or something, you might not hear from them at all until the next movie comes out. As long as the movie sold tickets, they are stars. And you might not ever see them again, but for that moment, they were stars. And it's such a peculiar, um, I guess it's not peculiar, in, in that it, it, the entertainment industry has evolved so dramatically over the last one or two generations. Well, it, it's also interesting that, that a lot of the um, people, you know, you, you'll hear, and the same way with, I guess you could say with sports stars, too, you might... Or, or singers, you know, you'll hear they might have one hit, and people, uh, you know, will, will talk about them for a while, and then and then they just sort of uh, fade from the scene. Where I think in the era Walden's interested in, and all of us in the '40s and '50s and the like, people stayed around and they had staying power. Yes, yes, yes. That's a great way to put it, Jim. They did when you saw them, and they. They were moving up from character actor to actor to starlet, someone who is really lighting the way, and then star. They really did go through those progressive steps, and they came back again and again and again and again. So we knew who they were, and we knew they were good, and they knew they were good. You can say the same thing with singers. I mean, you know, you, you know, Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, name any of the, of the singers. Era. 
they would have singles, they would have albums, they would have, maybe some of them would make movies, they had their own television shows, they had their own radio shows in many cases. Yeah, people, yes. And, they, and, they, and you, you always saw them and heard them, and you became, you became familiar with them. Mm-hmm. I think Bing Crosby is a, is a wonderful example of what you're saying. We saw him in movies. We heard him sing. He had Christmas songs that came out as um, unassociated with radio, television, or movies. He eventually went into television. He was in everything. Right, and, and even even in his day, you know, someone like say a, uh, an Arthur Godfrey. Mm-hmm. He was he was everywhere. You know, uh, when you think in the early fifties, it, 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 I know when he died, and I was I was taking a journalism class in a in a community college when Arthur died, and, and I had some of my classmates were asking me, what is what is it about Arthur Godfrey that people are so you know. And, I, I, and, I, and these were young kids born in 63, 64. Mm-hmm. And, I to, and I had to kind of explain to them, it was hard to explain to them how a phenomenon like Arthur Godfrey could have happened the way it did because there was, no, there was nothing in, in that age that I could compare it to. I mean, there was nothing, no current, no current radio personality or TV personality that I could compare it to. And I had to explain to them about simulcasting, how Arthur was on radio and television weekdays, and he had a, a weeknight, a week, a Monday night show that was simulcast on radio and TV, and on Wednesday night he had a television show, and on Friday night he had a, a radio show, a best of of the week, and there was no nothing to compare it to, and I had to explain, and it was kind of a fun, but yet challenging to explain to these younger kids that there's really nothing, there was really nothing like that in their time. And that's why he was such an important person. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about Arthur Godfrey in those kinds of terms. Hmm. We, we you know, five days a week, an hour, an hour and a half on radio at one point, and an hour on television. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes on television and radio Monday night, an hour on Wednesday nights on television, an hour on radio on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, and plus he made records. How much preparation, I, I'm, I'm going to say something silly and then we can go into a serious conversation. I tease Walden about, oh, Walden, you're giving me more homework. Oh, Walden, you're giving me more homework. I really do put in a lot of time preparing things like, um, you know, the advertising. I've got Burma Shave commercials tonight, and we've got trivia questions and those kinds of things. I do a couple of hours of really casual fun time with Walden on Saturday, and I spend a fair amount of time preparing for it. When you get somebody who does a show five days a week or with Arthur Godfrey in two media, he's got radio and television three times a week, how did they do it? How do they do it? Well, I, I, I think it depends on the style. And, and another guy who I would classify similar to Arthur Godfrey, who we just had on the station in January, Art Linkwater. Right. Art, radio and TV, all the other things he was uh-huh. doing. I, I think they must have had an incredible staff behind them that gave them things that they didn't have to go up and look up themselves. Mm-hmm. They knew what Godfrey probably needed. They knew what Art needed. 
And so if they wanted to review that, they could. But what, as Art said, and I think Godfrey, both, they had the gift of gab to talk to people or get, get up and talk. And that can probably cover a lot of things when you don't need the prep time. Yeah. Other thing that helped Arthur, and he said this year, towards the end, towards the time of his retirement in the 70s, he said that when uh, when, he, when he's talking to someone, he says if, if two or more people in, are in the room, they're not listening to the radio. They're talking or doing something else. He says when, when he talks to people on the radio, it's as if one person alone is listening and that's why he was able you know that mm-hmm. able to capture that one person's attention that's listening to him that's that's really interesting that translates to writing as well when i taught writing one of the things that i emphasize i, I would ask people okay who are you writing this for and they say oh everybody will want to read it well that's not really true and if they were doing an article i would emphasize you have to match what the magazine does, but you only have to sell it to one person, and that's the editor. So you make sure that you're writing for that particular target, and he owns the content of the magazine, so you're going to do it. But you're writing, you're, you're having a conversation with a single person. You're not broadcasting to the 10,000 readers. You're talking to a single person, and that's what you're telling me Arthur Godfrey did. Right. Well, he said, "Yeah, that's what he said." And when he, when, you know, when he would sell a, pro- one of the funniest things that I always remember is the way he could lead into a commercial. One, one day, I was about twelve in 1963, and I was listening to Arthur Godfrey, and he, he, it was in the summer, and he was talking about, let's see, he, there was a music, there was a musician on, or a, sing- I think it was a singer or an instrumentalist. But anyway, the singer or instrumentalist did their skit. And the audience applauded, and Arthur said, well, I'm glad that you're in the music business. And he says, you know, it's important in the music business that you keep up, you know. And he says, and it really doesn't make any difference what instrument you play, the piano, the drum, the trumpet, the organ, or the flute. And, and you know, I'm thinking he's going to tell people to keep practicing or something. He says, or the flute, Listerine. Listerine keeps your breath clean. And just right out of the blue, he could lead into a commercial like. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I, you know, I think he's going to give a, a lecture about practicing, and, it, and, he, and he goes into a commercial. That is really funny. Boy, you talk about talent. Yes. I don't know anybody else who could do that. Do you know anything, anybody in today's market who could pull something like that off? I, I probably until he passed away. Paul Harvey probably could have until the until he died. You know, until he died because uh, he was compared often to Arthur about his ability to sell things. Although he gave you the cue, page two or something. Uh-huh. Arthur wouldn't give you a cue. You just he didn't say I'll be back in a moment. He would just go right into the thing. <laughs> you didn't have to come back in a moment. He was there. <laughs> yes, that's really cute. <laughs> I like that story. It made me laugh so much, and, and, and we had another station that, that delayed Arthur for an hour, so when that hour, the next hour, just to hear that again, I remember tuning into that other station just to hear him do that again. It was just so funny to me. The way. Yes, yes, I like that. Okay, you get but Don McNeil could do things like that. He, one, time, one morning on The Breakfast Club, he was talking about, uh, he was joking with his, his announcer did a particularly bad pun or joke or something. And he says, 
I would not encourage him, Don McNeil says. <laughs> I would not encourage him. Whenever you encourage him, it always leaves me with, and then you hear the recording go, nervous tension headaches. What do doctors know about? <laughs> oh, for pity's sakes. And they had a cute light just like that, just, just, to, uh, just to go into the commercial, and it was just, uh, Don McNeil could do things like that. Uh, one, one morning on Don McNeil's Breakfast Club 2, it was... Uh, Apparently they didn't, you know. The he said the announcer says you're listening to the Breakfast Club coming you coming to you from the uh, Greenbrier Resort in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. This is the ABC Radio Network, and then you hear somebody in the audience say, "American Broad Chasing Company," and the microphone picked that up, and it was just hilarious to me. <laughs> but um, they did; they could do those kind of things, and those guys. There was a guy in Chicago named Jack Eigen, who Fred Allen often talked about when he worked in New York. And he did kind of a talk show at night on WMAQ, and he would talk about all the things he did and how great he was and how talented he was. And most of the time when you hear conceited people, it bugs you. But it didn't bug me with him because, you know, he believed what he said. And one night I, I got the biggest chuckle at the end of his show. He was telling people to tune in the next night, and he says, Drive carefully. Remember, the life you save may be mine. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just, some of these uh, people could do that, and uh, they just had that amazing talent. The thing that was nice about Arthur's talent scouts is a lot of, it wasn't like, you know, an American Idol thing today. The people on talent scouts were actually very talented, and several of them, became rather famous. Among them, uh, Lenny Bruce won his first contest nationally on Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. We know about Richard Hayes, who Walden will be interviewing soon. Became a singer on Arthur Godfrey's show, and he won on Talent Scouts. I think uh, I think uh, the Cordettes won. They later became singers on his show, and they won Talent Scouts. And, I, and one of the losers that same night was Wally Cox, who later became famous. So a lot of talented people got their start with Arthur. Anyway, it's always a pleasure talking to both of you. And Thank I you, hope Gil. We'll let other callers call in and hope you both have a very pleasant evening. You too. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. Thank ah. you, Patricia, and thank you, Weldon. You bet. Bye-bye. 714-545-2071. 714-545-2071. Five four five two zero seven one. That is our number, and please give us a call. We love to have you be with us. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. I have something for Walden. You do? Yes. You were talking. Wow. You have any other more Burmese slogans? About 4,000. You want to give me a couple? Oh, sure. I just thought you would enjoy that one. I love that. Spring is sprung, and you only heard it one time, so now you've heard it twice. Okay. Oh, here's one. I'll save this one for Christmas. No, no, she said to her bristly bow, I'd rather eat the mistletoe. (laughs) 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 These are so 
so good. Um, by the way, let me give out a question here. Um, we've got a couple of bonus questions that still have not been answered, mm -hmm. and I think you had one as well. That uh, okay, we have. Um, I think mine was what space patrol right. item that was, was a prize in a contest that was bigger than a house. You couldn't fit it inside your house. So if you know the answer, you can give me a call at 714-545-2071. If you know the answer to any Patricia trivia question, you can give her a call at 714-545-2071. If you can tell me what's similar with Patricia's number and my number, you can let us know. 714-545-2071. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm just saying, you know, I gave out my number to answer my trivia, and I gave out the same number to answer your trivia. I was just seeing anybody caught on, I've given out the same number. I'm I'm the only one who caught it. I know. Somebody's going to call in and say, I got it. I know what you were talking about. <laughs> That's right. Know it. Okay, well, I've got um, this leftover bonus question about Fibber and Molly, which is apropos because this is a Fibber and Molly show. Fibber and Molly, over the course of the, the, this is the entire life of the show from, what, 1935 to 1959, which is a lot of years, they had two critters in their lives, pets of sorts, and uh, I want to know just one of them. They had two critters from the animal kingdom, or the non-human kingdom, I guess would be better, that was not planned. Um, and they had two of them, one at, uh, in the earlier years and one in the late. And maybe we have an answer. Do you think we have an answer? Hello, Carl. You are on with Patricia. Yes, good evening. It's, it's Ralph again. <laughs> Hi, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. How you doing? Very good. Uh, I think they had a horse. <gasps> they did have a horse. Ralph, you're just going to town on yourself oh, wow. here. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Wait, you want to guess what with the other pet they had in their life? Uh, I'm thinking a dog, but I'm not sure. Okay. I know the horse for sure. The horse, yeah. You know the horse the, for sure. Well, remember the name of the horse. Maybe we can give that a trivia question just in case. Mm, no, I don't know that. Okay. Uh, but, uh, if you know the name of the horse, you can get a second CD. Oh. I'm about floating in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can cancel the order. <laughs> I, I really don't need anything. <laughs> Is that true? You really don't need anything? I really don't. I just like to talk to you. Oh, you're, you're too funny. Um, you know, I've got stuff like, oh, Christmas music. I don't know if you're into um, holiday music. Or, you know, some unusual things that are not tied to old-time radio. So if you come up with something like that that you'd like, you can let me know and I'll send it. I just had, I just had a yell from the other room, my bride of 53 years. She wants to know if you have A.B.'s Irish Rose. Well, I know there's one radio show. Maybe Patricia can find that one. That's, a, that's, a, that's something I haven't heard of in sure. years. It started, on, it started on Broadway, and it went to a radio show, sort of an unusual twist. I will find it. If it's out there, Ralph, I will find yeah, there it. Yeah, there is one. Hey, uh, 
you tell your lovely wife that she has sent me on a homework assignment, and that will relieve Walden of some of the responsibility of giving me homework this week. I'll see if I can find it. Okay, great. Uh, I, I wanted to say something uh, about Fibber McGee and Molly. Uh-huh. When I was a boy, my father and brother both went into the military, into the Navy. Right. And my mother and I were just left alone in this big house. And I can remember Fibber McGee and Molly had come on and my mother would say, Now, be very quiet, because when he opens that closet... I want to hear that last little tingle. Oh, yeah. Very end. Yeah. And she would sit there intensely listening to it. And her other thing was Wallace Wimple and his bird book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. He used to walk around the house and try and say it like him. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why my, one of my favorite McGee and Molly show when Fibber is trying to track down to kill your patient. Okay, I think that's the first time I ever heard Wal I heard on the radio in the seventies and they was you hear Wal you know, Wallace Wimple talking about his bird book, you know, all the time. Yes, yes, and that was a good show. He he had identified they they told him that the carrier pigeon was extinct. Yes. And he said, No way. Uh. I don't remember that. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a good show, and he had everybody collected. He was going to show them his carrier pigeon. It was interesting, that little jingle that your mom heard, that was done on purpose. It was a cue that the sound effects man yeah. could let Jim, Jim and the cast know he was done. And it was just a little bell That's that they had left over from the Smackout radio era, and they just ah. took, it, took it with them. Anyhow, it still tickles me today. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've, been, I, I, I've been studying up on Burmashave all day. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Okay. What you got for us? Uh, oh, uh, you know, just I, I read the history on it. They have a, a pretty extensive website. Uh-huh. And uh, apparently this thing started, uh, although it was a family-held business, in 1925, the son told the father about this idea to put the signs up. Uh-huh. Father invested $200 in the, in the thing, and it's supposed to have really made their business fly. And I was amazed to hear that they had 7,000 signs. I, did, I pulled down some information, and uh, it matches up with what you're telling me, 7,000 Burma Shave signs across America. Uh, obviously, they couldn't have all been up there at the same time. They must have changed them out. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I remember them quite well. I, when I was in the military in the, in the 50s, huh? I was a hitchhiker. Mm. Didn't have enough money to go anywhere, but I used to get everywhere by hitchhiking and saw so many Burma shave signs. Where were you stationed? Were you stationed here on the uh, on the West Coast or on the East Coast when you were in? Well, it, it's kind of funny. You know, I joined the Navy, and they said, where do you want to go? I said, well, I want to go all over the world. And I joined the Navy in New York City, and the furthest I ever got was Houston, Texas. <laughs> I remember when my brother joined the Army. He said they were going down the line and asking people what they would like to do. And one guy said, I'm a radio expert. They said, you're a cook. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they come into our, our barracks and said, any of you guys have any special talent? 
working with tools, and this one guy, he raised his hand. They hand him a paring knife, and they told him, go over to the galley and start peeling potatoes. <laughs> and I, and, oh, man. My father and brother both told me, don't volunteer for nothing. <laughs> no information. Nothing. Not even name, rank, and serial number. It's been quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, I, I want to thank you both for your show. I really appreciate you guys. Well, thank you so much, and we appreciate you because you call in and entertain us. That's right, well. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thank you once again. I'll say good night to you. Sounds okay, good. and beside, you will always get credit for the silver horseshoes. Oh, I sent you an email about that. Oh, you did. I have to go. I haven't been up to my Hotmail account since last night, so I'll go check it. I located the program. <gasps> you did? Identified it. It's called Silver is Stolen. And it was from February 2nd. Uh, 1938. Wow. I know I have that. I know I saw it on the list because I ran a word search and I never listened to that show. Thank you so much. I will go dig it out. Well, I started all this trouble. I might as well have <laughs> <pull the> problem. <laughs> well, all right, folks. You're hired. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Good night. Well, good night. Bye. And you can call us, too, at 745 2071. You know what shoes that Silver wore? You let us know. 714-545-2071. If you know anything about Burma State signs, give us a call. 714-545-2071. I wonder when did, when did they take down the Burma State sign? That's an interesting thing. I don't remember them as a kid. Um... Anyway, if you know anything uh, about anything, give us a call. Right. If you know your name, you might you might be in good shape here. That's right. I've got some information that I pulled down and I copied. That was my homework. Mm -hmm. I had to find out who wrote the Burma Shave ads, and Frank was ab or Ralph rather was absolutely right. I have way back in 1925, young Alan O'Dell, O-D-E-L-L, pitched this great sales idea to his father Clinton. Use small wooden roadside signs to pitch their product, Burma Shave, a brushless shaving cream. Dad wasn't wild about the idea, but eventually gave Alan $200 to give it a try. Didn't take long for sales to soar. The sales to soar soon, Alan. Boy, say that one fast. It didn't take long for sales to soar. Soon, Alan and his brother Leonard were putting up signs all over. This says all over the dang place. This is cute. <laughs> Obviously, this is a colloquial expression here. Um, at first, the signs were pure sales pitches, but as the years passed, they found their sense of humor extending to safety tips and pure fun, some of the old-fashioned down-home wisdom. At their height of popularity, there were 7,000 Burma Shave signs stretching across America, the familiar white on red grouped by four, five, and six, in, in sets of four, five, and six, were as much part of the family trip as irritant as much part of a family trip as irritating your kid brother in the back seat of the car was. Okay, so that was all part and parcel. You'd read the first one, then another, anticipating the punchline on number five and the familiar Burma shave on the sixth. The signs cheered us during the Depression and the dark days of World War II. 
But things began to change in the late 50s. Cars got faster and superhighways got built to accommodate them, and the fun little signs were being replaced by huge, unsightly billboards. 1963 was the last year for the new Burma Shave signs. Isn't well, that sad? That is sad. They send it, they, give us a call, 714-545-2071. Did you ever take a family trip? Did you ever see the Burma Shave sign? Where did you go with the family? Any, where did any, you see the sign? Yeah, where did you see the sign? Were they spaced out by one every couple of miles? I'm curious, how did they do this? Yeah, I, I never found out how many... Uh, feet, miles, spaces, yards, I, I don't know how much space was in between the signs and whether it might have varied depending on what part of the country you were in, I guess. Sure. I think the longest family trip we ever took was from California to Texas. My gosh, that's a big one. That's a big one. We visited my uncle down in San Antonio, so from the West Coast down there. It took about three days. Then another year we went to Nebraska. So, anybody out there... Do you, you got any memories of a, a family trip to where you might have gone and what was a small town you might have drove through or any Burma signs? We'd love to hear it. 714-545-2071. Leonard sent uh, a really neat site. Leonard Ellenberg from our chat room, our really neat person who keeps us in recordings and he keeps track of the shows and oh Leonard thank you so much he sent me a, uh, an address and uh, a web address for Burma Shave and it bunches and bunches and bunches of Burma Shave ads up here so we've got a really good supply and we need to hear from people that's a great question did you ever see them did you ever hear your parents talking about them what information do you have about Burma Shave signs yeah. Who painted them? Who painted them? 714-545-2071. Any, you have any potluck trivia for the people, Patricia? I have potluck trivia. We've still got, uh, Ralph knew that Zipper McGee and Molly had a horse. We would love to know what the horse's name was and what the second little critter they had. This was later in, I believe it was 1954. The little critter came and joined their family. So it was, it was late. It was in one of the 15-minute shows. So we need the name of the horse and the second little critter. And we have a ventriloquist who had three dummies, Effie Klinger, Mortimer Sturd, and Charlie McCarthy, who was the ventriloquist. That's a good one. That's a good one, sure. This one's a hard one. Wild Bill Hickok had a sidekick. It was Jingles. Everybody knows Jingles. It was Andy Devine. Hey, Wild Bill! Hey, Wild Bill! Yeah, yep. that's good. That yep. was good. That was much better than I. Well, you did good. It inspired me. What was Jingles' last name? Oh, that's a good one. And the last one, we had our Miss Brooks stuff yesterday. Um, because Harriet Conklin was our guest, Gloria McMillan. So here is in our Miss Brooks question. What was the name of the high school? Connie Brooks, where Connie Brooks taught English, and Harriet Conklin attended, and Mr. Conklin, Osgood Conklin, was the principal. What was the name of the school? What was the name of the school? So wow. Three dummies, Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Effie Klinker, who was the ventriloquist. 
Wild Bill Hickok's sidekick was Jingles. What was his last name? And what was the name of high school Connie Brooks taught English in? 714-545-2071 our number. 714-545-2071. Well, next Saturday, on the 24th, Patricia will come on a little later than normal. She'll be on uh, 12.15, 12.30 Eastern Time, or after the monthly show of the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. So the only homework she'll have to do next week is just prepare for trivia. That's all. That's all. That's all he says. I've yeah. got all of this stuff. I have to find out about a duck. I have to. <laughs> what else do I write down? I don't know. I've got notes to me all over the place. You are on the phone with Patricia. Hello there. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm hearing you. Hi. Who is this? Uh, for exactly who you think it might be. Well, hello, for exactly. How are you, Tom? I'm well. You do. Um, it's interesting. I don't have an answer to your Connie Brooks question, but wasn't uh, what's her name, the principal of Rydale High? Time out. You don't have a Connie Brooks answer, but you, uh, which principal? Osgood Conklin? Of is, that, is that the one you're, you're responding to? Who is the Who is the actress who played uh, Miss Brooks? Eve Arden. Eve Arden. Eve Arden. She was the principal of Rydell High. Walden, help me. I, I don't know. Anything with me like TV, Tom? I, 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 I don't know of any. Uh, I think it was, was it the movie Grease? Uh-oh, see, you're in an area that I don't know, 1977 movie, so somebody's going to have to look at the Internet Movie Database. It's possible. Uh, I'm, I'm not into movies. I can't recall the last time I was in a movie house, and I'm still learning on radio, so <laughs> you've got my well, question back. The reason this interests me is because I think that they probably chose her as this actress to play that part because she was already known as an actress for being a school teacher. Yeah, it's probably true. Uh-huh. Was, 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 I in there. I know Grease uh, was John Provoda and Lyndon Rostad, if I recall, but I don't, I never saw it. So were they, was it based upon a high school? Olivia Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John, that's it, okay. And Grease was supposedly, or the movie Grease, I, I think the play was the same way, but um, well, I know Eve Arden was in the movie, so I, I just didn't know what role she played. So, you're probably right, Tom. Anyway, so, well, there's there's your movie trivia. Yeah, her movie trivia. Well, I'll have to write that one down because I'm not a movie person, so you taught me, anything you tell me about movies is going to be new. Okay, do you have any of the others? Do you know who the ventriloquist was who had Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Effie Clinker? I'm sorry, that went too fast for me. I'm, I'm very sorry. Who was the ventriloquist who had the dummies? Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Effie Clinker. Oh, that's Bergen. It's Bergen. See, you got an answer. You, you know the oh, first, but, you know the so first name? The yesterday's question, though, too. Who is, who is Edgar, Edgar Bergen's daughter? Oh, that's right. No, oh, you, you're good on Edgar Bergen, so I owe you two CDs. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I do. What do I need to give you? Oh, you don't need to give me anything. You, you, you send me what you're sending me, and that's cool. Well, 
if I'm going to send you one, the postage is just the same on two as it is on one. So if you pick something else, I'll make sure you get that too. You're trying to get some lights out of the deal, aren't you? Some, some what? Oh, lights. Oh, no. Oh, you're silly. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to get some lights out of the deal. For anybody who's brand new to this, Tom is in the LED business, the um, low-energy lights with a specialty on Christmas lights, and we were talking about Christmas lights yesterday. No, I'm not, I'm not fishing for lights, I promise you. <laughs> so um, I will find... Burr, what color would you choose? It, white. A, a cool white or a warm white? I didn't know there was a difference. Oh, there is. Cool white will be an icy, snowy white, kind of a bluish white. Yeah. Warm white will be more like an incandescent, clear bulb. Oh. Well, I'd have to ponder that. Is this a trivia question? No, I was just saying if you're angling for lights, you might end up oh. <laughs> the color that you wanted. Not angling for lights. Oh, you're too funny. No, I'm not angling for lights. Okay, I'm, I've got surprise on your, on your paper here. I've got Tom, Mortimer Snurd, surprise. So I will, I will fix a surprise. Do you like things like Christmas music? I mean, I'm not pushing Christmas music, but I keep forgetting to offer that to people. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of Christmas music because it gets in my head and I can't get it out. Okay. Well, you know, Christmas lights, Christmas music, it was a natural... Well, you know what? You can give them all radio shows with Christmas lights as a theme. All one? Oh, would that be fun? Yeah, that would be good. I know one. I know one, too. Yeah. So now, see, you're giving me a homework this time. <laughs> well, see, now I could add that to the Christmas Light Museum's uh, website. Mm-hmm. And it's the date on that show is February McGee and Molly, December 20th, 1949. Okay, um, and we've got uh, the Jack Benny one where he's putting... Oh, that's a great one, yeah. December 24th, 1944. Pull it out! Pull it out! Oh, that was that was such... Yeah, we need to put that one in. Also, he did the um, the CBS uh, December 22nd, 1948 with the sneak preview show. Uh, about 20 minutes, if you can find that. So that's a third Christmas tree light show. Give me the, la- the date on that. Uh, 12, uh, 12 22... 48. 48, okay. Um, and the... And you just have like a real fast list here or what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Patricia can Google everything up. Yeah, I, well, I have all of these shows. If he gives me the dates, it really helps them. Well, I know, but I mean, you have this catalog that you... You have a catalog by Christmas light shows or something? I well, think oh, we're just... No, we're making, we're making a Christmas tree catalog just for you right on the spot. Right now. Oh, I know. I'm just wondering how you're, how you're rattling off these dates. Because they're in his head. He's our walking encyclopedia. I'm not kidding, Tom. He walks around and has all of this stuff in his head. And you ask God. what happened, I said before, you ask him what happened at 12.15 on March 14th, 1939, on this particular show, and he will tell you. Uh, the Great Gershwin Show, December 22nd, 1948. That's the bubble lights. Uh, okay, now that's uh, Gildersleeve, um, tell me again. 12, 48. 48. That's the Christmas tree bubble light one where they gave the one for the baby. Got it. Um, right. let's see. Oh, well, could, up uh, with a Christmas tree, the Amish book Christmas tree, I don't think there were any lights on it. Oh, the, yeah, the magic Christmas tree. Yeah, 12, 49. Um... Do, 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 do. How about I just put together 
um, a group of shows that have Christmas trees. Some of them have lights. Some of them have decorations. Fibber cuts his own down. Yep. Would you like that one? Everything that has to do with trees? Fibber cutting down a tree? Uh-huh. Fibber cuts down a tree. Fibber decorates a tree. Um, as as uh, Walden just said, our Miss Brooks had a magic tree. Magic Jack tree. Benny had a tree that had an electrical short in it, yeah. which was great. It was a short in the light, so that was a light one. Um, Fibber put lights on the house and blew up the neighborhood. Yeah, that's the classic one. <laughs> I like that one a bunch. Yeah. So how about I put together, uh, I'll, I'll go out and I'll dig around and look for Christmas tree shows. There you go, Tom. You can put that up on the website. All right. That'll be that'll be a really a good addition. I, I never thought about going that angle with it, and I think that's a great uh, that's a great way to go. Well, that's why we need to have Patricia to take care of all marketing for everything, because she can do that. <laughs> Too funny. Look at what, I mean, I've got all this homework to do. No, seriously, this will be fun, because then I can set them aside and offer them as separate units later on. So each time I put together a collection like this, it's really neat, because somebody else will be able to enjoy it, too. Cool. Well, you're right, and, and I appreciate this. Um, I'm not going to talk to you all night. I'm, we've got a soda fountain conversation going on in the chat room. Oh, well. Great. Have a... Uh, get back to that. Okay. Well, have a happy scoop of ice cream in there. All right. Thanks, Tom. For me. Thanks, Tom. Have a great night. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 714 is our number. 714 2071 and hey you know Christmas comes early to yesterday USA it comes six months early we celebrate here in July so just heads up we'll always we'll sneak some Christmas shows in July and I heard through a little birdie tonight that we're gonna play one later tonight too hello there you are on the phone with Patricia well I thought of two more another Christmas tree show you might want to think about mm -hmm. okay uh, the couple next door, it was December 23rd, 58. Remember when they're setting up their tree and he's trying to remember the name of that man he met at the store? Oh, uh, yeah. When they're, when they're buying their tree? Yeah. And they put off decorating the tree because he's, he's, he's all upset about not remembering that man's name. Also, Fibber McGee and Molly had a couple episodes that where they go out and buy a Christmas tree, one in 1943 and one in 1953. Right, that's true, that's true. And I think they had another, the couple had another Christmas tree story in 59, December 22nd or 23rd of 59. You can check those in your file, Walda, but okay. those are some more that just immediately came to mind. Okay. And also... A tree is somewhat related in the famous Radio City Playhouse was the night before Christmas. Remember when they yes. when they bring the goat? The goats, and the goats eat the tree. The goat eats the Christmas tree, yes. Yes. That's another good one I would recommend. Yeah, 1225-49. Right. Radio City Playhouse. Was the night before Christmas. Yeah. An excellent show. Yeah. So those, those are a few more I thought of. Okay. Enjoy those. Thank you. Good sure thing. Hi. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 714-545-207. Who would ever guess on the Saturday night show we would prepare for Burmese sign and sneak in Christmas trees? Only on Yesterday USA. But help me with Christmas trees. Okay, so I've got two 
uh, I'm, I'm scribbling. I need to put this in a more organized way. I'm scribbling on my papers here. I should have put it in my notebook. I've got two with Fibber McGee and Molly buying Christmas trees. I remember that. Yeah, 1943 and 1953. And Fibber paints his Christmas tree. Yep, that's, uh, oh, that's right, 1945, I think that's when that was. And he cuts his Christmas tree down. That's December 16th of 41. Cuts his own tree. Yeah. And, of course, he blows out the house at 12 20 49. All right. I think I need to go to my notebook. <laughs> <laughs> I should have started with my notebook. Tom, it's all over your page here. Um, well, you want? I'll wait. You want to get a new, new notepad out there? No, I'll do that while, while we're playing the show. I'll oh, okay. Over okay. here. So we've got uh, so the the Christmas decorations on the house. You think that will that will fly because they wound up with the prettiest decoration? On well, the I like it because doing actually with Christmas tree lights. That was his original thought. When he put up the lights on the house. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Christmas decorations. That's the name of the show. I think Tom would appreciate that because he could sit there and advertise his have his all his competition try to blow out their lights. <laughs> Good. <laughs> don't do this. You don't spell Christmas with two S's. And yes, <laughs> I can't remember what he said. He had an extra letter in there. Oh, he, he wrapped it around. Oh, uh, um, one, I think one, I think Rochester had three S's or something. Oh, he had three on yeah. the, on the cake that he was serving. Right. And Fibber misspelled something in Christmas, but also it didn't fit across the front of the house, so the M-A-S kind of Oh, had I see what you're saying. Do you remember that one? Yep, I think you. I think you remember. Yep. Okay, yep. so I've got, I've got two fibber, uh, fibber paints the Christmas tree. Fibber cuts his own Christmas tree. Right. Fibber and Molly buy a, a Christmas tree. tree. That's two shows. Um, that's three shows. No, I think that's. We've got two, uh, two different shows where they're buying a tree. Uh huh. And fibber paints a tree. Right. That's three. And then he, and then he paints a tree. That's what I just said. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm on a different phone, so I'm really giving you a hard. No, no. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I was just thinking of the four shows. He cut the tree in '41. Mm-hmm. He, 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 all his friends buy him a Christmas tree in '43. Right. He paints the Christmas tree white in '45. Right. He buys. He goes trying to get the best deal to buy more Christmas trees in '53. So there's four shows. Right. And then the uh, blown out the decoration in '49. So that's five shows. And that's five fibbers. Okay. Yeah. And then we have two uh, Jack Bennies. We have two Jack Bennies. We have uh, 12, 24, 44. We have 12, 22, 48. Got that one. We have one Great Grocery Show. That one's 12, 22, 48. Yep. Bubble lights. Yep. And our Miss Brooks magic tree is twelve twenty five forty nine. See, Patricia, you getting good. You memorizing these dates? I'm memorizing them. I wrote them down. Well, that <laughs> <laughs> You're giving me such great credit. Yeah. Next door, Jim said twelve twenty three fifty eight. There's a great Christmas tree. Yeah. And the couple and, next door. Uh huh. And Radio City Playhouse. Playhouse. Twelve twenty five forty nine was the night before Christmas, and that one had it. Uh, Christmas tree in it. And if you want to go with the cinnamon bear, he, you know, they got the, the star. They're looking for the Christmas tree. Oh, that's right. So there's 26 episodes there for Tom. Okay. Cinnamon bear is not one of my favorites. No. Apparently with a lot of people it is. Can you imagine? It's still being played annually on radio station today. It, it's, 
it, yes, it started it, in 1937, everybody, and it was still a radio station organ that started in 1937 and still plays throughout the holidays, even today. Amazing. Yeah. The, the longevity and timelessness of so many old-time radio shows is staggering. I mean, Fibber Paints a Christmas Tree, that one is timeless. Mm -hmm. It will never, ever wear out. It's not dated. It, there's just nothing about it that puts it aside and makes people say, oh, that's an old one that belongs to X, Y, and Z. Sure. It's current. It's evergreen. It is literally evergreen. Absolutely. Okay, okay whoever has a Christmas tree radio show suggestion, please give us a call. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, you got to tell me what the horse's name was. Fibber McGee and Molly had a horse. What was the horse's name? And what was the second pet they had during the life of the show? So you got to answer those questions. And Wild Bill Hickok's sidekick was Jingles. What was Jingles' last name? And what was the name of the high school Connie Brooks took, taught English in? Also, another Fibber trivia question out. What can you tell me about the December, the September 13, 1949 broadcast of Fibber McGee and Molly? What was special about that? September 13, 13th, 1949. <laughs> ah, we might have somebody who knows. Going to help me here. Hello, Carl, you are on air with Patricia. Well, I, I, I thought of one more just as you were thinking about another Jack Benny Christmas show. Okay. September 21st, 52, and I believe it may have been repeated on a Best of Benny in 57. Is that the one where they used tomatoes for ornaments? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I, I think it was the one down in um, At the Long Palm Springs or something, yeah. Yeah, where they used to, ornaments for, I mean, tomatoes for Christmas ornaments. Mm -hmm. December 21st, 52. That is priceless. I have never heard that one, Jim. Thank you for the heads up on it. Okay. And by then, the other couple was December either 22nd or 23rd, 59. There was a Christmas store the next year as well. 59. Okay, so that would have probably been 24. Fourth, um, 23rd? Uh, it depends on whether or not it 22nd was. 22nd or 23rd. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, well, um, the, the, the one be the year before was the 23rd, so the one after is probably the 22nd. Is that or 23rd, one of the two. Okay, I will find it. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Thanks, Jim. And I thought of a few more shows. Oh, okay, here's the Bob. What you did for us. I know. Here's the Bob Hope Show from 122148. And he's out shopping down a Christmas tree. Oh, wait, and Phil Harris. Phil Harris, yeah, that's um, 1949. I think that's 12, 11, 49. That one is great because it's got Rimley in it. Yes. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I have heard that show at least six times, and I still laugh every time I listen to it. Also, our friend Gloria McMillan is in a, 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 a lovable one I want to plug. A Lux Radio Theater had a great story called, and I play it so many times, Mother War Tights, starring Betty Grable and Dan Daly. And that's the one where the, his folks are in show business, and Gloria plays their daughter. And it, as a surprise gift, the, the kids show up for Christmas. Well, the Dan Daly was all upset because he didn't have a Christmas tree or a Christmas tree, so he goes out. And chopped and chopped down the, the city tree, had to pay a hundred dollar fine. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so sweet about that? It glorious sings, um, 
a, a terrific song in that luxury theater, and that's um, that it was done twice, one in '47, and I think the other one in uh, twelve. 122849. Uh, excuse me, 122849. That's the one I really like. And which which date is? Mother War Tights. Luxury Theater. Yeah. 122849. 2849. Yeah. Okay. Right around that ballpark. 714-545-2071. So my initial thing show is the Pride of the Marines. Um, where the blind soldier played by John Garth knocks down a Christmas tree. So, if you want to go, and that was in 1231 <laughs> One more I just remembered. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fred Skelton show from December. I know it was done. Oh, yeah. 40, in, both in 45. 46, 46, 45, and 51. 51. Also 1950. Right. Christmas. I know one Pacific one was December 19th, 1951. This is the one where they chop down a Christmas tree and they bring it, and he wants to know why. He wants to know why he's a Christmas tree and going to die in a couple of days. Yeah. Okay. Santa Claus talks to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. That's I a great one. I love it because Junior had to be in a play, and he gets so f- so he takes his head and bangs it on the sidewalk. <laughs> Good old Junior. I'm a mean widow kid. Yeah. And it's, it's and it's a very compelling story because Santa talks to the tree about mm-hmm. his purpose in yeah, life. Yeah, life. So that's another one I would recommend. And, and like I said, forty six. Forty six. Yeah. Forty six. Diffy one, and also I have a one from Diffy. From okay. Thank, okay. Thank you. Again. All right. Bye. Bye. 714-545-2071. Our number 714-545-2071. And we are on working on multiple fronts right now. Christmas trees for Christmas lights on radio shows. Was there a Christmas tree one for Amos and Andy? Well, there's the, um, they always sort of had a Christmas setting. We don't have the one where it starts off 1938. We don't have that. Well, that's one Amos starts reading the Lord's Prayer around the Christmas tree. Um, the 1941, 12, 24, 41, uh, Andy comes and visits Christmas tree and, and they, they talk about the tree. Um And which one was that? Uh twelve twenty four forty one. Twelve the fifteen minute show. One Amos and Andy, okay, and um the Amos you know, they they did the Lord's Prayer and they did uh Lumen Abner had the annual that they uh the, the gifts having the baby in the barn. Yeah. But I don't recall that they had a Christmas tree. I don't remember they having a Christmas tree with that. There are just so many of those shows. I haven't heard them mm-hmm. all yet, but um, I've heard all pretty much all the fifteen-minute Lemon Avenue Christmas one. Get to see if there any differences. I was always curious about that. Um, uh, Christmas tree. That's Fred Allen. There must be something in Fred Allen in here. Let's see. Well, he's always 
the, the North Pole seemed to be the, the theme of Fred Allen. Uh, let's see here. Henry Morgan Christmas. Do you remember what that one was? <laughs> <laughs> um, Christmas shopping. Jack Benny. Goodbye. Hello. Christmas shopping. Christmas party. Um, Jack's Christmas party. Is that the one with the Christmas tree? Uh, yes. Do you have a year on that? Uh, 1943, December, uh, no, that wouldn't be it, be it because it was December 26th. Yeah. Uh, trimming the Christmas tree. Trimming the Christmas tree, that's what you want that one. Okay. I need to get a folder here. I will find them. This is good. People need to call in and let us know their favorite Christmas tree show. Yeah. Even your unfavorite Christmas tree show. That's right. And we are open. Love to play. And let me give you the guest lineup here in the next few weeks. That way Patricia knows what her homework assignments are. <laughs> I've got them on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, the 24th, no guest for her, for Patricia, for prep for. She just got to prep for the show. That's all. Then on May 1st, Michael Haig, uh, who has a brand new book on Superman. So that's the next author book. Uh, Patricia get to review his book, and Mike is also one of the head honchos down there at the uh, Metro Old Time Radio Club down there in the Maryland area. Uh, and then circle this on May eighth, nineteen forty-five. I'm right now planning to have no guest because that's sure is VE Day in Europe. So I'm, Patricia should come on the top of the show, and we'll play game trivia. We'll sort of look back upon the war, you know, what, uh, what it was like. May 15th, Jimmy Weldon will be on with Patricia. So Jimmy's going to have to prepare for Webster, Yaki Doodle, and Jimmy. She'll have three guests to take care of that night. Actually, yeah, we're interviewing Webster the Duck. Yep. Webster is Jimmy Weldon's duck. Jimmy is also the voice of Yaki Doodle mm-hmm. on the... Um, not Hanna Barbera, but Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers cartoons. Yogi the Bear. Pardon? Yogi the Bear. No, it wasn't a Yogi Bear. Well, I think it was Yogi Yogi Bear with the cartoon that he did uh, Yaki Duo on. Huh, I thought it was Warner Brothers. Um, either way, look up Yaki Doodle. You'll okay. You'll see this adorable little duck running around saying, Mama, Mama. That's Jimmy Weldon's mm-hmm. duck, and he has Webster Webfoot, mm-hmm. which is, don't tell Webster, he's a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is, and he goes on motivational speeches with Jimmy, and Webster helps deliver the messages, and they have such a great time. He's really got a great routine with this, uh, <laughs> this little duck, and his name is Webster. He wears a baseball cap. Webster and Jimmy Weldon are up on YouTube, so you might want to take a look and be prepared for some questions. He's really a wonderful person. And we're going to be interviewing Webster. I asked him if we could interview Webster, and he said yes. Yes. Next. That's your turn. Uh, May 29th, Bob Mills will be with Patricia. And I chose that day because if Bob was still with us, he would have been 107. I know about Bob Hope. And Bob Mills was one of his comedy writers. So that should be fun. To That way Patricia can talk comedy with a professional comedy writer. This is going to be 
super. Yeah. And then uh, June 12th, uh, Dennis Hart will be on with Patricia. He will have a book sent out to you that few week on the radio series called Monitor. And I was on for 20 years on NBC from 1955 to 1975. And you can talk about Fred McGee and Molly because they used to work on Monitor. So, anyway, those are some of the guest stars and authors and the goodies we have on the Saturday show. Lots of goodies. Yeah. 714-545-2071. Anybody going to give us a call? Are we going to have to play some shows? Or are we going to be wondering anybody listening to us? Did everybody go to bed after yesterday? Patricia and I are up. Oh, no. What do you mean maybe nobody's listening to us? Well, I think there is. I have faith. I have faith, too. Yes. But it would be nice if they proved it and gave us a call or send us an email. My email address is floridawriter. I am a writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. I am a writer in Florida, so my Hotmail address is floridawriter at hotmail.com. Let me know if somebody is out there listening. Dennis did. Hi, Dennis. I hope you're still listening, and maybe one night you'll give us a call. Dennis sent me an email and said, there are peeps out here, <laughs> which I thought was just wonderful. There are peeps listening. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, long Walden's <laughs> address is? <clears throat> Walden Hughes at yesterdayusa.com. That's W-A-L-D-E-N-H-U-G-H-E-S at yesterdayusa.com. I love it. Well, Patricia. Yes, Walden. Should we think about sneaking in a show? I would love to sneak in a show. All right. Can we do Fibber Inherits a Yacht first? I have that ready. You do have that. Okay, Fibber Inherits a Yacht. You know what Fibber is going to do with this. Um, he was going to run canneries in one place, and it turned out to be canaries. Fibber Inherits a Yacht is uh, another one of his Fibber capers, but there is something exceedingly special about this show. There are actually two things that are very interesting, very special, and if you listen, you're going to pick up both of them. So we're giving prizes for one or both of the unusual items that are associated with this show. So in other words, listen to the show and call in after to tell us what what it was. What is unusual about this show? There are two things. The end. The end. And the date? The date, oh, I'm so sorry. It 